Praise the Lord. Praise and honor unto our God. What a great and awesome God. What a wonderful experience to worship with you guys today. How wonderful to see those children running off the children's church and out of this building right here where we are. I mean, you know, it's great. They're going to have a great and wonderful time. We're going to have a great and wonderful time. They're just going to get fed and we're just going to have snacks. But we're still going to have a good time. I thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you, Palmerdale Cross, for becoming a part of Cross Connection this year and especially for helping us feed people tonight. There will be about six churches that will gather together. This is a long day for us, a tough day for you. We didn't plan it this way, but it just kind of fell out this way. You got snacks for us, and then we gather together. And then at 4.30, choir meets and gathers at Hilldale, a joint choir from the various churches. All of you guys are invited, encouraged. We want you there to be a part, and you'll learn a song that you probably already know, but you will know it by the time service starts, or if not, you'll just pray really, really hard, which is what we do, or, or you'll do what the choir director told me when I was growing up. You just sing and say, banana, 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 you know, what, whatever, so that you can get by in doing that. I, I have included what I normally do, which is I want people to have something to take home from the sermon. Now, I hope you'll take home a message. I hope you'll take home something God writes on your heart. That's what I'm praying for. But if you don't take that home, I, I've given you a sermon sheet to take home. And you can take the sermon sheet home. Some people actually fill it out, and then they gather with their families, and they talk about it around lunch. Or if you'll take it, if you go out for lunch on Sunday, usually, you know, people take it to, to the restaurant with them. And if you sit at one of those tables that doesn't um, feel level, that rocks a little bit, if you'll fold it like this, over and over and get it real tight, you know, the last one, you can stick that under that leg and it balance out the table and, and you will have gotten something out of the sermon sheet. So... I want you to get something out of it, whatever it happens to be. Today we're looking at God's Word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. Now, I'm not going to read all of it right now because this, <clears throat> this is my heart. I, I, I think this is also the heart of my associate pastor, uh, uh, Donnie Holly, and, and, and the rest of our staff this is our heart. It all wraps around discipleship. You, you've heard it said that leaders aren't born, that they're made. You know, leaders are made, not born. That you can take somebody and, and you can help them grow. You can build the skills of leadership in a person who, you're not necessarily born a leader. Now, you know, some kids are. You can tell by preschool they're going to be leader. At least they're going to be boss. I don't know if they're going to leave, but they're going to be boss. And, 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 and you're not born a, a football star, but some people are made into football stars by their coaches and by the programs they, they take part in and, and by the work that they do to prepare themselves. But disciple makers are not born that way. In fact, you're born... And while you're a child of God because He created you, you're not yet a child of God because you've received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So He watches you over until you begin making choices. Most of us make the wrong choice to start with, but, but we have the opportunity to hear and come back and experience Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And then, hopefully, you will have somebody 
who will disciple you. Somebody who will pour their heart and their life into you and help you become that follower of Jesus Christ that you need to be. Disciples aren't born, they're made. Somebody has to help them. That means there's got to be some disciple makers. And in fact, what I believe is that every person who comes to know Christ as personal Lord and Savior is destined to be a disciple maker if they follow him and are obedient to him and do what he tells them to do in the scriptures. We all become disciples. Jesus was a disciple maker. He, he called men to follow him. He put his life into 12 men and asked them to follow him. He, he showed them how to do ministry and then he sent them out two by two to do ministry themselves. He watched them. He corrected them. He helped them to grow to the place where they were the ones who were the kingdom builders of the early church. They were the ones who caused the increase in the early church. And Paul was, became one of those who was discipled. Ananias took him at first, and, and then he went off into Arabia and, and let God and the Holy Spirit work in his life and disciple him. And then he came back and he had others, Barnabas, who was an encourager and a helper to pour his life and, and, and all along the way, there was an opportunity for growth, and, and, and he became a disciple maker. And in fact, what you see in 1 Thessalonians, in the first chapter, you see a church that has been discipled. A church that Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, who was discipled by Paul, Timothy was, uh, they poured their lives into those people and, and they started that church and they, they built it. And in verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith. Hey, this church had a work of faith. They believed God for stuff beyond what they were able to do and a labor of love. They were willing to work hard because of the love they had for the Lord Jesus Christ and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. All of that first chapter gives you the characteristics of a people who have been discipled. But in the second chapter where we're going to look, in the second chapter what you have is you have the characteristics of a disciple maker. You have the characteristics of somebody who begins to make disciples themselves. Max Barnett was probably one of the best Baptist Student Union directors at a college that I, I ever have known of. There may have been others better than him, but he went in and, and he discipled the the. Oklahoma State University, that's where he was, Oklahoma State University. He went in and he started discipling the freshman football players. He didn't pay any attention to anybody else. He went after the freshman football players. And he introduced them to Jesus. And he began to disciple them. And he began to get them to memorize Scripture. Whole chapters of Psalms. Whole chapters uh, of the New Testament. And, and all of a sudden, all over that campus, there began to be people who were in discipleship groups being led by these freshman football players who had influence and, and as they grew then a Christian movement took over Oklahoma Baptist State University but this is what he says about the Baptist church being a Baptist himself he said that the average college student who has been going to a Baptist church for 15 to 17 years shows up at college woefully unprepared spiritually to cope with what he or she encounters at college. We know that to be true. 
we know that the fastest group of fallout from Christian life are those between the ages of 17 and 25. Because they go off to college, they get out of the influence of the parents, they get out of the influence of their home church, and they aren't prepared to face what they're introduced with in college. Sad thing is now, most of what I was introduced in at college that was pretty bad is being introduced like in middle school today. <laughs> in junior high school, in, in, in high school. And, and we've got to make sure that people have been discipled, that our kids have been discipled, that we have been discipled because it, it makes a huge difference in, in what happens. Nothing beats one-on-one discipleship. Sunday school classes are great. They're wonderful. Discipleship classes that we may have where we teach how to pray, how to read the Bible, how to study the Scripture, those things are, are great. They're wonderful. Uh, small groups are fantastic. But there's nothing that beats one-on-one -on -one discipleship. There's nothing that beats somebody teaching somebody else. Dean Bird introduced me to Jesus and poured his life into me. When, when I was just a, a young man, he kept coming to my house over and over and over he, through the fifth grade and the sixth grade and the seventh grade. And, and I would run out the back door. That's what I did. I left. I, I, you know, I, I'm not home. I, I didn't want to talk to him. But he, they kept on coming. They kept on loving. They kept on caring. The Danforths in a discipleship class, Mr. and Mrs. Danforth, they, they, they were there for me. I, I showed up at their house one morning at, at 1 a.m. because a girl broke up with me. Can you imagine being, I, you know, I was torn up. I was torn apart. Where do I go? Well, you know, I, you can, I don't talk to my mom about that. I, I, Danforths. And so at 1 o'clock, I'm knocking on the door. They're coming to the door. Ron Page, is that you? What? What's wrong? Girl broke up with me. My whole Christian life is falling apart. Come on in. They talked to me and they prayed with me until two o'clock and said, "Get out of here. Go home. <laughs> You're okay. You're going to be all right." Gene Smith took me witnessing. Charles Dill got me to come to choir because I had no Christian friends when I truly believed in Jesus. He put me between two of the best singers in our whole high school. They sang in a band. They sang in the choir. They sang all the time specials. He put me between them and he said, just listen to what they do in your ears and just mouth the words. So... I would be around people who were believers. Pastor, Brother Marshall, took three of us guys who said we wanted to know Jesus better. And in, in a church with 600 people and lots of people wanting his time, he met with us at 7 o'clock in the morning before we went to school to disciple us. Discipleship. And becoming disciple-makers, it's extremely important. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Your version is just as good as mine, but mine helped me pass Greek. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. 
But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness of our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst much opposition. There is what a disciple maker is. It's somebody who speaks the gospel of God and somebody who helps other people get to know God and the good news about Jesus Christ. The good news that he came and lived an example for you and me. The good news that he died on the cross. The good news that he rose from the grave. The good news that he sent his spirit to live and empower you and me for everything that he wanted us to be able to do in our lives. Discipleship. I, I, I want to give you an example of the way it really should have worked. You've You've probably seen this, probably heard this. I, I should have a visual for you. It would have been a whole lot easier, and, and I won't go through it all. But, but here's what happens. Let's say this church didn't exist, but it was going to start. And Brother Jeff found one reprobate, horrible person, led him to Jesus. So he found me, and, and he led me to Jesus. And he said, you know... Brother Ron, I'm going to pour my life in. I'm going to teach you about Jesus. I'm going to teach you about the Bible. I'm going to teach you how to pray. I'm going to teach you how to witness. I'm going to teach you everything I know about God. And, and, and that's all we're going to do for a whole year. Just you and me. Just the two of us. And we're going to start a church with just the two of us. But we're not going to look for anybody else for a whole year. We're just going to, I'm going to grow you. At the end of that first year, how many Christians... Strong believing Christians probably, committed Christians probably, two disciples and maybe disciple. How many would we have in that church at the end of the first year? Now this one is easy. No, don't give them away, Jeff. Let somebody else get it. How many? Two. You've got it. Just two. And so, but you got two people who really believe. Two people who want to see others believe. So those two people... They commit to find one other person each. Lead them to faith in Christ and disciple them. Help them become disciple makers themselves. But they say, hey, we're just going to take a whole year to do it. We're not going to look for anybody else. No more baptisms, just these two. And so our church at the end of two years has how many strong, committed members? Four. Good job. Now... If we keep doing that, at the end of three years, we have eight. At the end of four years, we have 16. At the end of five years, 32. At the end of, I wrote it down so I'd know. At the, end, at the end of six years, 64. At the end of seven years, 128. At the end of eight years, 256. Now remember, these are 256 members that know how to tell people about Jesus, know how to read their Bible, know how to study it for themselves, know how to speak the gospel of God themselves. I mean, they're real believers. At the end of 13 years, do you know how many members you got in that church who are active, who are there every Sunday, who aren't convenient Christians, who aren't casual Christians? who aren't nominal by name only Christians, but people who are committed because each one has got one and disciple one. At the end of 13 years, you have 8,192 members. I don't know many churches in this area of Birmingham, Metro Birmingham, that have 8,192 members attending their church. Not in our area. But let's say that we just did the same thing for 16 years. 
we'd have 65,536 members. Let's see, I've been at Hilldale for 19 years. Let's say we've been able to just disciple one a year who would commit to disciple one a year themselves. At the end of 19 years, this is how many members we would have. 524,288. At 20 years, because that's a nice even number, we would have 1,048,576. Not nominal Christians, not casual Christians, not convenient uh, Christians, not trend-seeking, church-hopping church member Christians, but disciples who are ready to make more people into disciples. Because here's what the Great Commission says. The Great Commission says Jesus was talking to his disciples. He was preparing to leave them. Last chapter of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 18. And he said, Go ye therefore and make church members of all nations. Oh, wait a minute, I got it wrong, didn't I? Go ye therefore and make choir members of lives. Sorry, I got it wrong. I know it, I know it, I know it, I learned it. Go ye therefore and make Sunday school members. Ah, man. You know it. What does it say? Go ye therefore and make disciples. We say that's the Great Commission. That's the word that you got from the mouth of Jesus Christ. One of the last words that he had to say. That's the word that I got from the mouth of Jesus Christ. One of the last words that he had to say was to his disciples, you go because you're one of my disciples and you make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Boy, Brad can baptize, can't he? Man, I was, I, I was shocked to death with his first baptism up there. He got him up there and he said the words and then he just, you know, I can't do it because I'm tied up. But, but he just, zoom, boom, man, he's a fast baptizer. I thought, man, you know, nobody had a chance to change their name. I mind, you know, one, once, once they said yes, it was going to be a done deal. Boy, boom, boom. I like it. I like it. Good job, Brad. You know, baptize them quick. Get them up and out of there, you know. Go ye therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, leading them to faith in Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe what? All that I have commanded you. If you become a disciple, there's only one reason you become a disciple, and that is to become a disciple maker. How many churches do you know that have 1,048,576 after 20 years? There's a couple in Korea. One in South America. I don't think there are any in the United States. We send our college kids, our young people off to college. And they never go back to church again, many of them. Because we're not making disciples. Disciples are made, not born. What are, what are their characteristics? Uh, I, yeah, I gave you a long introduction because I hope to give you a short sermon. And if you believe that, I have some swampland in Louisiana, I want to say. About that. Disciple makers speak the gospel of God. That's, that's what he said. 
we have the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel. Verse 3, for our exhortation. That's talking to somebody, exhorting them. Uh, verse 4, so we speak not as pleasing men. Uh, down in verse 8, we impart to you. That's You have to speak in order to do that. Disciple makers speak the gospel. Living out the gospel is not enough. Some people say, well, I live the gospel. That's all I can do at work is I can live the gospel. You can, but eventually you're going to have to tell them. You're going to have to tell them. You're going to have to speak the words. They're going to have to come out of your mouth. You can't be a disciple maker if you're not willing to talk about Jesus. A lot of people talk about church. Church is not, you know, you can talk about church. That's okay. You can talk about God. That's okay. A lot of people talk about God. Man upstairs. Our friend in heaven. But you say the word Jesus and people panic. But disciple makers, they speak. They speak the name of Jesus. And, and how, how do they do it? A disciple maker speaks boldly. Now, I didn't say he spoke obnoxiously. I didn't say that he spoke overbearingly. I, I, I didn't say that he just spoke loudly. I said he speaks boldly. We speak boldly about our political candidates. Man, you know, I could say, hey, I'm a Democrat. Most of the congregation, or many of you, would say, Republican, what? you're not even saved if you're a Democrat. I could say this, War Eagle! Look at that. It just came right out, didn't it? It just comes out. You go on a diet, and a special diet, and somebody says, man, you look great, you lost a bunch of weight. Well, let me tell you how I did it. Yeah, you know, no, no problem. No problem with doing that. But to speak the gospel, to speak the name of Jesus, the one who died on the cross, rose from the grave, and sent the power of his Holy Spirit to live in you, to live in me, and we won't say his name to people. Disciple makers. That's what we're called to be. That's what my heart says we ought to be because that's what the Bible says we ought to be. We speak boldly about fishing techniques. We speak boldly about the best hunting rifle or shotgun. We speak boldly about the movie that we like or the TV show that we like. We speak boldly about everything in our world but about Jesus. Disciple maker is not ashamed to say the name of Jesus. And that, that leads you to to the B, a disciple maker speaks amid opposition. Even if you're opposed. See, that's what our kids have to have the strength. When they go off to college, they're going to be opposed. They're going to be challenged by the professor many, many times. They're going to be challenged by other students. And they've got to have something in their heart. It was not unusual for me to get a call from my daughter, which was a shock the first time it happened. I, I got a call from my daughter. She's supposed to be in class at Auburn. Amen. And, and she's supposed to be in class and, and taking things and all. And, you know, I get a call from her. Oh, no, what's wrong? What's wrong? It's Caitlin. i got to take this call. I throw the phone up there and say, honey, what's wrong? You okay? Everything all right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, everything's fine. I'm between classes and I'm sitting out here with so-and-so. And they ask me this question. Can you give me some Bible verses to tell them? Yeah, let me look up some. I'll call you right back. 
But she ought to be able to look up the verses. She ought to be able to know the verses. She should have been discipled. She's been to church all of her life because I've been a preacher the whole time before she was born and after she was born. Sometimes you're opposed. Early Christians were falsely imprisoned because they were believers. But you see, we, we, we don't oppose and face that opposition. It's not because we aren't afraid. Because see, another word for boldness is just very simply obedience. Obedience. You don't have to be bold. You just have to do what the Bible says. Boldness comes from being just obedient to the Lord. And here's the neat thing. It's not even your boldness. It's God's boldness through the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You don't have to be bold. Disciple maker speaks from pure motives. We don't talk to people because we need more attendance. We don't talk to people because we need to be more popular. I don't need to preach better sermons because you'll pay me more if I preach a better sermon. It's not so I'll get a better job. It's simply because... God said do it, and you want to see people experience the love and the grace and the forgiveness that you have also experienced. Disciple makers speak the gospel of God. Disciple makers please God and not men. Hmm, yeah. Disciple makers please God and not men. When you read on down through there, it says, Our exhortation does not come for error or impurity by way of deceit. That was, we already talked about it. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, you've been entrusted with the gospel. It's a trust. It's been given to you. When you put money in a trust, you kind of expect for it to grow. You expect for something to happen with it. You've been entrusted with this gospel of God. So we speak not as pleasing men, but pleasing God. Anytime you're not pleasing God, you're living in sin. You were created, according to Revelation 4.11, for His good pleasure, to do His will, to please Him in all that we do. Look at John 12, 42 and 43 right there on your sermon sheet. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in Him. Now, the rulers were the Lord's. They were the leading people of the day. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing Him. Uh-oh. Because of what somebody else thought who had power and popularity and standing, they were not confessing Jesus. I'm so glad I've never done that. You've never done that, have you? For fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved, oh, this is one of the saddest verses in Scripture. There's a lot of sad verses in Scripture. This is one of them. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Mm. Verse 4 tells us that God examines our heart. He examines our hearts. So we need to speak pleasing Him. Now, now we don't flatter for the purpose of greed. It's, it's okay flatter. Men, you need to learn how to flatter. You ought to flatter your wife. That's just recognizing something good about her. And women, it would help our ego. Flatter us occasionally. You know, find some. I know it's hard. 
I know it's hard, but find something to flatter us about. You can, you can find it. You can find it. You can. Man, you didn't sweat much today. Right, you know, your clothes weren't nearly as dirty as they usually are. I mean, find something. We need an ego boost every now and then. Something to lift us up just a little bit. But we flatter, but not for the purpose of greed. And you know, they were greedy for money, but, but they were also greedy for approval. And, and they were greedy for authority as, as well as for money. But a disciple maker does not seek glory for himself. And if you go on down to, to verse 6, you find that clear as a bell. God is our witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. That all works together and fits together. You see, in Acts 10, 25, and 26, Peter had been seen by Cornelius in a vision. And Peter responded and, and went to Cornelius to, to lead his whole household to Christ. And as Peter arrived, when, when Cornelius met him, he fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up, I myself am also a man. Don't worship me. You don't ever, don't ever worship a pastor. Man, you worship a pastor, you'll be disappointed because every pastor I've met has just been like a regular person. Now, we get up here and we talk a lot. We croak scripture a lot. And hey, if you want to give us some respect, hey, give it. But don't worship. Don't worship your pastor. Don't follow your pastor. Follow God. And he better be pointing you to God. People, Acts 14, 15. Why are you doing these things? They were worshiping again. The disciples that were there. We're people also just like you. And we're proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea and everything in them. So a disciple maker doesn't please himself. He doesn't please other people. He pleases God. That's what Jesus did in Luke 2.52. It's not on your sermon sheet, but it, you probably, that's one of the verses you ought to have memorized. Uh, and Jesus was growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You see, when you have favor with God first, then you can have favor with man. You seek the approval of God first, and then He helps you gain the approval of those that you need to have the approval of. And see, a disciple cares for those he disciples. He genuinely cares for other people, not numbers, not members. He cares for people. One of the things we say at Hilldale Baptist Church is that one of our values is people. We value people. Jesus didn't die for Sunday school. Jesus didn't die for the choir. Jesus didn't die for a church building. Jesus didn't die for your small group. Jesus died for people. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him, in Him should have everlasting life. People. That's who Jesus died for. People. So we value people. And we care for people. And that's what those who are His disciples do. And the disciple maker cares for those that Jesus cares for as well. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Disciple makers share their own lives as well as the gospel of God. That's verse number eight. It's been my life verse for a long time. I've had four or five life verses, but I, I've kind of settled in on this one. And, and I love it in my version. You can love it in any version you want to, but it says in mine, having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you 
not only the gospel of God. We've already determined you've got to speak the gospel of God. You've got to give the gospel of God. But also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. What do we call people in our church family? We say, brother and sister. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all a part of the same family, though we come from two different churches. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Tonight we're going to meet with four other churches. We call it cross-connection because the cross connects us to each other in a community of believers. We are connected. Disciple makers share their lives. They give their lives. If you look at Luke 8, 40, 48, you can, you can look at it later. I'm just going to tell you the story. But in Luke 8, 40, 48, uh, Jairus is needing to have his daughter healed. She's sick, and he doesn't know she's going to die before Jesus gets there. But, but he's, wanting, he's wanting Jesus to heal her and, and everything. But while he's making his way, there's a lady who comes up. You remember this lady probably from Scripture. She's had a hemorrhage of blood. She's been bleeding for a long Doctors haven't been able to help her. Nobody's been able to help her. And she's heard about this Jesus. And there's a crowd of people around Jesus. And he's walking through the disciples saying, get out of the way, let Jesus through. Here's Jesus, get out of the way, let Jesus through. And this lady, she reaches through the crowd and she reaches and she touches the hem of his garment. And what happens when she does? She's healed. She's healed. And Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? And the disciples say, come on, Jesus, we got to go. Everybody's touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? He said, I know somebody touched me. And, and here's, I like the King James. The King James says, I know somebody touched me for virtue went out of me. Mine says, power went out of me. What was it that went out of Jesus to heal that woman? It was a part of his life. It was who he was. It was his life force. What did he give his disciples that they were empowered to cast out demons in his name? To heal the sick in his name? He invested his life in them. The only way you make disciples is to invest your life in other people. That's what God's called you to do. He hasn't called you to come to church to just have a great worship service. I hope that happens. He ain't called you to go to Sunday school and, and in Sunday school learn some extra stuff about the Bible. I hope that happens. He hasn't called you to be in a small group where you can learn about everybody, where you can share some of your deepest needs and know that those people aren't going to go talk about you, but they're going to pray for you and lift you up. He's called you to invest your life in somebody. At least one somebody else. Disciple makers share their own lives. He, 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 what, what, does, what does he say? Verse, verse 9, he says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. See, disciple makers share their lives through hard work. It's, it's, it's no excuse. It's do whatever it takes in the church family in order to share your life it's not just your money that you got to share. It's not just your energy that you... It's your life 
It's who you are. Disciple maker shares his life by time spent. Hey, you might just read that by real commitment. That's how, that's how you can read it. Just commitment. By following through on the commitments that you make. And a disciple maker in verse 10 shares his life by an example. For verse 10 reads, You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. They were an example. You saw how we behaved. You saw how we lived. We were an example. We spoke the word, but we lived it as well. Put up or shut up. Do what you say you're going to do. Walk the talk that you do. And number four, disciple makers always have a disciple. Always have a disciple. Verse 12 says, So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You know what he's saying? He's saying, we took responsibility for you. We took responsibility to see that you walked worthy of the gospel call on your life. We took that responsibility. That's why we're writing you. That's why we stuck with you. That's why we believed and prayed for a future for you. You see, the one who's doing the discipling takes responsibility. And even though Jesus had 12, he took responsibility for, he lost one. He lost one. Even though you take responsibility, that doesn't mean you control what they do. And look at verse 19. For who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exultation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Paul writes to this church that has been discipled, this church that has such a strong, powerful reputation that everybody's talking about them. And he says, we, we exalt in you. We rejoice in you. You are our crown. You are our joy. So proud of those who go on and do better than you do in following after Christ. I have led people to Jesus who have become good disciples and followers of Christ and now work in churches. During the time that Edwin Jenkins was pastor at Hilldale Baptist Church, that 12-year period, and Donnie Holly was the youth minister, we've looked back, about 21 people went into the ministry and followed Christ. Some of them have gone on to bigger things than we are. I take my day off and, and I work for the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Don't get paid much. But I take that day on Monday and I try to encourage ministerial students. Jeff Oates. The future Dr. Jeff Oates. He's a, he's a student there right now. And there are professors who are pouring their life into him. I mean, really giving him in not just what they know, but not just what he needs to regurgitate, but, but 
they take time with him and pray with him about things that happen here at your church and in his life with his friends. And, and I have done that through the years and I have counseled people. And some of them are at churches running 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 people. And yeah, every now and then, I'll say, well, God, what about me? I mean, they just did what I told them to do. They call me up on the phone and ask my advice. I give them their advice. I give them advice, and, and it works. <laughs> Where'd that come from? But I glory. I'm so proud of every one of them. I know Donnie is so proud of every one of those people that came through his youth group. I know that we've got Sunday school teachers here who said about some of them, I was their Sunday school teacher, pouring their life into people. So I, I guess the question is right there at the bottom. Who will be your disciple? Who will you find? Who will you be obedient to God to pour your life into them? To let these characteristics be the characteristics of your life? Who will be your disciple? Will it be a stranger that you lead to Christ and then just follow up with that person? You don't, you don't lead them to Jesus or point them to Jesus and then call the pastor or somebody else and say, Hey, they prayed to receive Christ. You come do something with them. <laughs> you do something. Make them your disciple. You meet with them once a week, once a month. You go out to eat and talk about Jesus with them. Will, will it be a relative? Will it be a friend? Is, is it going to be a former classmate or, or a current classmate? Somebody in one of your classes? Somebody as a co-worker? So maybe it's your child. Oh, there is no greater privilege and joy than to disciple your own child or your grandchild. What about a brother or a sister? Believe it or not, that can happen. A spouse. I know one guy. He's a minister. His father got saved at his church. And he's now discipling his dad. How awesome. How awesome is it to let God take you and make you a disciple who is a disciple maker. I'm going to pray and uh, turn the rest of the service over to Brother Jeff. For however you might receive new members. However, some of you who might want to know this God who can cause so many people to love so many other people and give their lives like Jesus gave his life. Maybe you want to know about him. Maybe you want to meet him and receive him. Maybe you're ready to stop going your way and to turn around and begin to go his way. Maybe you just want to say, God, I got somebody in mind. You put somebody in my head while Pastor Ron was talking. 
while Brother Ron was speaking, you, you, you caused me to think of a name. I just want to commit myself to disciple them. You might turn these steps into an altar. You might grab Brother Jeff's hand and say, pray with me for this. Or maybe you just need to make a renewed commitment of your life to follow Jesus. Understanding that when you do, the last words that he gave his disciple before he left this world physically would go there and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. Be a disciple maker. Commit yourself to finding somebody. Let's pray together. Father, I don't know what decision people need to make. I know, Lord, I want to be a better disciple maker. I want to do better at pleasing you. I, I want my life to honor you. And I want there to be more disciples and disciple makers because I have done what you said to me. So, Father, I, I don't have a lot of boldness. But help me have a lot of obedience to your word. And I pray you'd call people into Christian service today. People will want to say, I want to do it full time. I want to do it bivocationally. I want to somehow find out what it means to lead a whole group into being disciple makers. Maybe that person here who's been holding off is ready to say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me personally. And I want to put my faith and my trust. I want to put my life in your hands. I want to receive the life you have for me. Forgive me of my sins. And come live in me. So Father, give them courage to make a decision to follow you today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.